wind down our thoughts about how to speak Jesus to others this week. And next week we'll turn a page into uh, the park, at the park. Um, We'll be in John chapter 19, if you'd like to find that in your scripture. We'll get there in just a moment. And, uh, but so far, it's come down to some basic principles. And it's looked like, like this. Who are you following? And how are you serving? And what are you seeing? And today, in a way, we'll take our very first week when Jesus talked about, uh, and he shared these words, follow me on multiple occasions, yeah, and, and uh, he's, then, then today he tells us basically um, how now it's our job to keep this message moving, to follow me, and that's what his message was, now it's our turn. When Jesus invited Peter and James and John and Andrew that day uh, along the seaside where the fishermen were at, um, and they did it, right? He said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They did it, and they literally followed Jesus. They dropped everything, and they walked alongside of him everywhere he went for three-plus years. Later, though, Jesus would give them more than just following, right? Later, he would give them something uh, that they would be able to believe in. He didn't say, believe in me. They didn't even know him. There wasn't really much to believe. But these guys, these four guys, and then multiple people after that, they, they were believers. Believing was in their bloodline. Because for years, for centuries, right, their heritage as good Israelites, as good Hebrew people, it was believing that Messiah was coming. And over the course of those three years, following uh, Jesus, their eyes, these disciples' eyes and their hearts were opened wide to the truth that, uh, and everything that had been taught to them in their lives as good Hebrew, Israelite, Jewish people that this was the Messiah. So to begin today, we're going to start with the first of three of our Jesus speak phrases. Yes, we get a little extra Jesus uh, words today on our last um, week. I said last week it was just I'm sending you, but we get three instead of one. Sorry. Unlike our first week, though, we were uh, we talked uh, you know about Jesus' first days of ministry. The follow me words were like his first first few days. Today um, we're right at the end. Okay, we're we're uh, at a time towards the end of Jesus' intended purpose. For coming to the earth, which was to be the sacrifice for sin. In Gospel of John, chapter 19, we read about John's account of Jesus' death on the cross. And for the record, this account is easily the most accurate account because John was standing right there. He was there with Mary, watching it all unfold. And when all the trials that Jesus went through with Pilate and Herod and back to Pilate, all that mess was completed. And all the torturing process had taken place, which each of the gospel writings simply just stated um, in very matter-of-fact terms, right? And they crucified him. 
We talked about this in the past. If you've been here, they, they, and, and, then, and when they crucified Jesus, it was just very matter of fact, because if you lived in those days, if you heard that word crucified, you knew what it meant. You would have seen one. You would have witnessed it. You would have saw somebody on the side of a road who had been crucified, and that's all it would have taken to make your, your blood go cold. It would have been a horrifying picture of pain. And when all that was done and Jesus was on the cross, we come to John chapter 19. And Jesus speaks seemingly for the final time. So we'll read just one verse today. John chapter 19, verse 30. And when, and when he had received the drink, Jesus says, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. That was the end for Jesus. So everyone thought, right? But we know better. It is finished. But what was the it? Just three words, right? It is finished. But what was the it that Jesus was referring to? And just a couple of verses earlier, we read in verse 28, it says, knowing that all that was, all, knowing that all was completed and that the scripture would be fulfilled. So that was the it, right? That was the it. All the prophecies, the things that were written in the Old Testament that had to be fulfilled in order for the Messiah to be uh, shown that Jesus was that person, that he was, that he was Messiah. That was the it that Jesus, but here's, here's how it was finished. Throughout Jesus' time, traveling and teaching uh, and sharing with all these uh, people throughout his three years of ministry, his approach to God as, as the Father, uh, it was completely relational, right? It was you can have access to God as a, as a relationship, as a fatherly relationship, and, and that's nothing that they had ever been taught. The Israelites, had, had, since the very, very beginning, back when they were slaves in Egypt, um, they didn't know that. They didn't understand. And they get out of Egypt, and they, they start to get all these rules, and we'll get to that in just a second. But they didn't understand. That blew their mind. There was nothing that they understood because it, that they, they didn't, just had never heard it before. And Jesus explained it to them in a completely different time, in a completely different way. Because for thousands of years, their approach to God was rule-based, not relational-based. And you know, first of all, it was just ten rules, commands, right? Thou shalt not. And then it evolves into twenty or so, and then up the, into the hundreds, and eventually it was six hundred plus rules, commands. That the Israelites had to follow. And when those rules, these, these, these things were broken, i.e., when they sinned, right, then there was a sacrificial system of atonement that was set in place. In the first 10 chapters of the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, the third book of the Bible, okay, at the very, at the very front of the Bible, and, uh, it's full of just all these rules and things. And, and I can just envision. Moses sitting on top of a mountain, listening to God, and just writing it all down. But here, here's how it happened. In the first 10, 10, 10, 10 chapters of Leviticus in the Old Testament, the, he lines out how the people are supposed to present 
an offering of atonement for their sin. This is back when they were in the wilderness. as They're no longer slaves, but they don't have a home. They're not in the promised land anymore. And, and now Jesus, or in Jesus, is, he's here on the earth. So literally thousands of years have gone by. And it tells them how they're supposed to present the offering, how the priests are supposed to offer the sacrifice. And let me tell you, it's an intense process. And everybody was supposed to do it. A lot of blood, a lot of internal organs, and the burning of an animal. And then there's more blood and more burning. And there was a very specific process that had to take place. And then we fast forward to Jesus' time. And newsflash, a crucifixion was very processed and very intense because it was an actual person. And it was exponentially more important when it was the Son of God laying on the cross. And that, sacrifice, that, that sacrificial process went on for centuries and centuries. And, and all these people, it came to an end um, at John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus said, it, that whole process, is finished. Jesus is telling one, he's telling everyone, you don't have to do that anymore. There's no more sacrifices that are needed anymore because I am the atonement for your sin. Yes, people will still sin, right? For all sin, okay? Sin doesn't make you bad, okay? There's, I know a lot of really nice people, okay? They're still sinners, but sin does make us dead. That's the wages of sin. Sin makes us dead. And for in order for us not to die because of our sin, we needed that sacrifice once and for all. That was Jesus. That final atonement for our sins. And it is finished. And Jesus let everybody know that. And it is finished. And as soon as Jesus says these words, he drops his head and he dies. Now, to be clear, Jesus' death was the sacrifice, just like every other sacrifice, right? Every other sacrifice had to be offered, and he offered himself, and it had to be killed, and that happened. But the resurrection, his resurrection was the victory. The number one difference between all the other gods and the one true living God is he is alive. And because of that sacrifice, our sins are paid for. And because of the resurrection, grace is extended to you and me. And we have the opportunity to be in heaven for eternity. Because it is finished. So that's our first Jesus words today. The second um, kind of piggybacks on that, and it's a, it's a more of a sending thing. And... Uh, and so we have extra, I'm sending you. This is what he said. I am sending you. And it's just a page over in John chapter 20. Do you remember Sunday night church? Okay. Kids, if you're under the age of 30, um, you might not remember Sunday night church. But believe it or not, we did that. We would get up in the morning and we would go to Sunday school. And I remember this vividly. 
Uh, my dad, uh, my grandpa was a pastor. My dad was a pastor. So that's what we did. We'd go to church, right? And this was in the 80s. And I, I would get up and I'd go to Sunday school and we'd sing the songs. And then we'd go to Sunday school and we'd learn all the Bible stories. And it was awesome. And then we'd go up church, stairs, the big church. And uh, we didn't have kids' worship back in those days in the 80s. And it wasn't a thing. And our church probably wasn't big enough to do it anyway. And so the big church, in big church, we would sing. And literally, it was the same thing over and over again, same template over and over again, right? We'd sing two, I think it was two songs, and then we'd have a prayer time, then we'd sing another song, and we'd have communion, then we'd preach. That was the way it worked, boom, 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 in a line. And then we would sing, and while we would sing, I would get in trouble, mom would take me out and spank me. Yes, kids, that was allowed back in those days. Then, after the singing was over, Dad, he was, the, he was leading the worship, and he would come down, Grandpa would get up, and he would preach, and, um, and yes, I would get in trouble, and then Dad would take me out, and he would spank me, <laughs> because I was good. I was good for two spankings a week, and if there was a reward, a spanking reward, um, church spanking reward program, I would be a platinum member, still, um, and I think probably all of you could attest to that. Um, so what would happen is we'd go home after a morning church, and we'd have a nice roast and potatoes in the crock pot, right? Yeah, maybe you have that right now happening in your house. And um, we would eat, and we would have. And every now and then, we would go someplace nice for dinner, for Sunday dinner, like Captain D's. Yeah, someplace nice. We'd go all the way into KCK. I lived in Bonner Springs. That was a trip for us. And then we would come home, we'd take a nap, and we'd relax. But about 5.30, guess what? Back in the car. Headed back to church at night. And we would sing more songs. And it was fun because, you know, we, Dad would take requests um, at night church, you know, and we would sing a little extra hymns. And um, we would never get to sing Wonderful Grace of Jesus when Dad was the one playing the piano because he couldn't pull off the, uh, you know, the chorus. It's a little tricky, if you know what I'm talking about. And the old school uh, Christians know that, that one. Um, so we, we, would, we would have another, uh, you know, we would have another sermon. You know, preachers back in the old days, Sunday morning preaching, Sunday night preaching, Wednesday night preaching, and then uh, that's a lot, everybody. Let me tell you, if you don't stand up here uh, more than once a week, that, try it out. Um, it's not easy. And uh, so that was a load. But after Sunday night church, what would you do? You'd go home. We'll, this is what we did. We would go home. We'd have a snack because, you know, it would be about 7.30, 8 o'clock. And we'd go home. Always popcorn. Always popcorn. Made on the stove, right? Made, mind you, the 80s. We didn't do microwave popcorn even though we had a microwave. Sometimes a sandwich, okay? Um, maybe leftovers from lunch. Um, every now and then there was ice cream, but listen, the top of the iceberg, the once in a blue moon snack, milkshakes, right? Whew. Um, and, and the thing is, I would, every week I would get uh, some Dr. Pepper, and it was awesome. Once a week, I get the Dr. Pepper, just a small glass, speaking of which. <laughs> and it was awesome. Sunday nights were awesome. We, the same thing. Every time. Well, the very first Sunday on Easter, Jesus raises from the dead early Sunday morning. In the very first Sunday night church, 
church, these festivities, well, kind of, okay? All the disciples were in this room together, and they were gathered up, and it sounds kind of like church, right? They're in this locked room, so a lot less like church now, okay? See, as we're not locked in here. But they were, they're trying to sort out what, what happened today. What's going on? These events of this morning, they hadn't seen Jesus yet. They hadn't talked to him. They don't know what's going on. They just know that Jesus' body is gone. They're hearing rumors. It's just like when some big event happens in our world and you never know what to believe and who to believe, what outlet is telling the truth and what's not until it all gets confirmed. And then, poof, there's Jesus. He's just there. He's just in the middle of them. And he says, peace be with you. I'm like, yeah, right. Peace be with us. Where'd you come from, Jesus? But he scared him to death. But he just picks up the conversation from the cross. It is finished. Peace be with you. I am sending you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. He doesn't. He doesn't skip a beat. He says, I am sending you. He, spoke, he just speaks to him like nothing ever happened. And that's our second phrase. I am sending you. Jesus tells them, my father sent me, and he sent me for a reason. And as I stated before, that reason is finished. I'm done. I died I rose again, just like I told you all was going to happen. And none of you quite figured it all out. Well, I'm standing right in front of you now. So do you understand? And, and I think they started to figure it out. And he tells them, and it's finished. And then he goes on, and he says, listen, now it's your turn. Now I'm sending you. I'm sending you. And, and he says, I've been alive a good 12 hours now. And grace is truly available. It's time to get to work. All this stuff that you've witnessed is now a testimony to how the gospel works. And now grace is available, and you guys need to get to work. I'm sending you. It is finished. Now I'm sending you. Which brings us to the final Jesus saying that we're going to go look at. It's actually not in the gospel's uh, accounts of Jesus' life, but it was... Um, written by uh, Luke in the book of Acts, and so that's close enough. So if you just want to turn the page, one page from John chapter 20, it's probably just one page over in your Bible, to Acts chapter 1, you'll find these final few words. These final words, it is finished. I'm sending you. They're 100% about the authority, about the deity of Jesus, that he is God in human, human likeness. He's God in a body. And all that power that God possesses, Jesus possesses because he is God. And that power is at work with his, his followers. So um, I get to a pretty cool opportunity to coach football at Emporia Middle School. And every practice, as it comes to a close, it wraps up about the same way every time. And this is true not just at Emporia Middle School football practice. Every practice I can remember anywhere, 
football, basketball, baseball, it kind of works out this way. We work hard, we run plays, we get all this done, we uh, teach all that blah, blah stuff, football, yeah. And we run everybody, we have conditioning, we got to get in shape. But at the end, we get the double whistle, the toot-toot, and everybody comes running up, right, and get in this big huddle, and, um, and everybody would take a knee, you got to take a knee, because you can't do anything standing up, you got to take a knee, and the coaches give you this rundown of, you know, some of the good stuff, hey, we did this great, but here's what we got to work on, because coaches are never satisfied with anything, and that's the way it works, and, and uh, so we, we talk about this, give us some announcements, you know, don't forget, we're this time, practice tomorrow, and here's the, and then, and then the coach says, okay, bring it up. We get bring it up, and all the kids, they stand up, and they get excited because it's over, right? We're done. And they get to get up, and they put their hand in the air, and yes, it smells as bad as you think. And one of the leaders of the cat, maybe a captain, he's like, yeah, let's break it down. And ours is, you know, Spartans on me, Spartans on three. One, two, three, Spartans. You didn't do it, but that's okay. And um, we break it down, and everyone breaks the huddle and practice. Everybody leaves in one unified group. And it's really cool. And everyone heads inside and they all go home. Well, the first 10 verses of the book of Acts kind of remind me of this, that situation for Jesus and his disciples. And, and they remind me of the united power that, that we have as followers uh, that Jesus possesses. The power that we have as followers and Jesus, he's the coach, right, in the middle of the huddle of his followers. And, and his disciples, they're giving them, <clears throat> he's giving them this ultimate set of announcements. And he's like, listen, here's what's going to happen. And he's got the ultimate responsibility to lay on to them anything that, of, of anything that he could put in front of them, this, this is it. And, and to us too, right? Because we're a part of that. We are his followers. We're disciples too. And so in Acts chapter 1, we read in verse 7, he says to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And instead of Jesus saying, all right, bring it up. What happens? He starts bringing it up, except he's actually the one bringing it up. He's going up, and they're, and they're like, where'd he go? And he goes into heaven after all these announcements, and he says, you will be my witnesses. And they're staring there in the air like, what do we do? Well, you'll be my witnesses. That's what you do. I'm sending you. Remember that part? It's finished. It's time. I'm sending you. Go be my witnesses. Notice how Jesus phrases this statement, right? He doesn't say, now, uh, he doesn't say like this. Um, now, you, you'll figure out how to be my witnesses short in, you know, sooner or later, right? No, he says, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say, I hope you want to be my witnesses someday. No, he says, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say, you might be my, you know, you, you might figure it out. I want, right? Will you please be? No, you will be. It's not a statement. It is a command. You will be my witnesses. They have come this far. They have been commissioned. You will be my witnesses. And he tells them right from the start how it's all going to happen. 
because they're just people. He was the son of God here on earth. Easy for Jesus, right, to do what he did because he was Jesus. But they're just people. They're just fishermen and tax collectors and whatever else is. So here we go. What do we do? Well, here's what's going to happen. You will receive power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's coming. It's going to help you do all the same things that I did while I was here on earth. I mean, come on, Jesus can give a pep talk, can he? So the power has been received. The Holy Spirit is here, like right now, here, today, working in us and through us everywhere we go, empowering us to be witnesses to what Jesus finished on the cross, encouraging us like Jesus did with the disciples in the locked room when he sent them out. He he finished it. He sent them to be his witnesses. So we can speak Jesus to people. It's, it's It's not like a hard language for us to learn, right? It's an e- it's really easy to translate when we speak Jesus to people. People will be able to understand exactly who is speaking through us when we speak Jesus to them. And when we don't know what to say, we just simply speak the name of Jesus over them. Because it's not always easy. We're not always competent in, oh, I don't know what to say to them. Speak the name of Jesus over them. Now, I'm not telling you that when you're having a conversation, you're not sure what to say, just start saying Jesus to them. Jesus, because that might weird them out, right? It will. But in your heart, start speaking the name of Jesus, because there's power in the name of Jesus. And they'll start to understand. And he, you will start to understand. What do I say? How do I say it? Because the name of Jesus is power. The name of Jesus is healing. The name of Jesus is life. For me. And for them. For you. So you can speak the name of Jesus, right? From your living room. Speak it over whoever comes to mind, right? Speak the, speak the name of Jesus at your desk at your job, especially for the guy over there in the corner that really gets on your nerves, right? He needs a lot of Jesus, for sure. At the halls of your school, speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. We've been singing it for a month from the mountains, right? From the street, shout the name of Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Our table is prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. We have to speak the name of Jesus over them. Shout Jesus for your family. That gets me every time. Because the name of Jesus is powerful. And, it, and, and anyone who encounters that, that name of Jesus, it changes lives. It in, in those encounters with Jesus restore relationships. It encounters with Jesus make disciples that make more disciples. And it just keeps on going and going. So we can speak Jesus, right? We wanted to be bilingual by the time this was over. And I don't know what you learned or 
how that spoke to you. But we can speak Jesus to people. And today, that's how we're going to finish. We're going to sing that song as our benediction. And uh, when we're done singing, we're done meeting. So you go and uh, have a wonderful afternoon when we're done singing. And come to the park next week, okay? And go and speak Jesus to people.